0: And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives
1: to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm
0: psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimachek. One of us is a real
1: doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. (laughs) Hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress.
0: On this episode, we're talking about scarcity in the Star Trek universe, scarcity in our universe, and how those two come together, what we can learn from all of this. And uh, before we get to that, let us know. What is your favorite episode of Star Trek that's dealing with scarcity? Uh, Theron on Twitch says, "Glory to you, and to your house." <laughs> what a way! A little Klingon to wake you up in the morning is always um, hello, is always great. Hello,
1: Theron. Though, if you're new to us, thank you for being there on <laughs> Twitch.
0: Yeah, and folks, like I, I could love another sci-fi franchise. I'm wearing my Back to the Future shirt. Uh, folks are like, what's What's the dealio there? I can, I can, I can love this. Um, although Scott is right. At this point, Albie does have a scarcity of Trek t-shirts. I think I've worn every Star Trek t-shirt I have on the show. I don't know what episode this is, Larry. This is episode 30. This is 38. 38. I, I don't have 38 full <laughs> <laughs> of Star Trek TV sh- or t-shirts. So I think we've, uh, we might have exhausted my, uh, Are you sure Nuan probably thinks you have 38 t <laughs> Oh, she probably thinks I have a lot more than that
1: 3800
0: 47 uh, <laughs> So folks we were off last uh Saturday for the um for in observance of things I don't even remember now at this point why we were we were off um, The Hindi, so uh, celebration
1: of lights oh wait that it was cel- day to day okay wait <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs>
0: So, um, it was not Captain Picard today. I know, I'm, I'm sure it was pre- some pretty big holiday. So, um, we have two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, uh, to catch up on, and both episodes dealt with some aspect of scarcity. Scarcity has been a big theme this season, scarcity of dilithium. And Larry and I were ta- talking about this, and this sort of maps onto a lot of what's happening in this world right now. Um, we saw a lot of scarcity in 2020 with, uh, certain supplies. We're now seeing very much a scarcity with the supply of the coronavirus vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Larry, when we started this, we, there was no Some would vaccine. say
1: was... a scarcity of common sense, but I won't go there right
0: well, now. Well, though, and as we talk, we're going to get to that in counselor's log. There's very much a close relationship between that, but, um, There isn't enough supply of this vaccine, and there's also big disparities between um, countries that have access to it, countries Mm -hmm. that have a lot of money, countries that don't have a lot of money. So this seemed like a really great—as this season of Star Trek Discovery keeps doing, Larry, Uh it it is somehow very much applicable to our times, even though it was written Mm -hmm. in the era before the pandemic.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's uh, well and I, there was a. if we're talking about this week's episodes and guys we're guys and gals, we have we're 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 doubling up this week. We've got two. We've got Sukal or RuPaul or whatever the name of that episode was last week.
0: Sukal. Sukal RuPaul would be a different T V show. <laughs> I know. Um and there's and there is a tide. Uh episode eleven and twelve.
1: And there's an Ajax and there's a Biz and there's a <laughs> it's the it's the song of the laundry detergents that have died. Okay. Um <laughs> There's an oxidol. Uh, oh, I get it now. Yeah, it's it's bad, but it was there. Um, <laughs> good dad, good dad joke. Larry's Larry's representing. See, can I just say something? There was a time yeah. when I was a kid that dad jokes were just bad jokes. They were grade school humor jokes. They were like what you got in your Jack and Jill or in your weekly reader or whatever. When I was a kid, the same things that people say now, I said when I was six and it was no big deal. It was like oh, there, those, the
0: dumb joke. Those folks grew up and became dads and now See, they're it's dad,
1: jokes. dad jokeism, and I don't like it. I stand <laughs> for the repeal of the Yeah. I'm I'm standing this with... is the line
0: that must be drawn? Yes right here? And no line? father. No. <laughs> nicely done nicely done i will i will drink to that nicely nicely
1: no i'm just saying what i was trying to say was we're wrapping up for two we're doubling up on two themes we picked a theme today i know it feels like it especially applies to the last episode but on the other hand it applies to the whole arc and if you remember when we talk about these two episodes the 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 uh, yes, they're in this century because of the time suit and blah 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 and Red Angel and the Sphere data and, and control and all that leftover garbage from the first from last season. But <laughs> the the pushing <laughs> the inciting incident this year has been the burn and all of that. The burn, and the, and the you know the dilithium necklace and whatever else. So anyway, you know, Larry, um, they say time
0: is the fire in which we. Burn. They say that people say that. I don't know if you're, you're aware of this.
1: <laughs> Some say. I feel like I'm on an alternate network now. Some say that time is the fire <laughs> in which we burn. Well, my point is that the burn and the inciting incident, which is what was revealed in uh, Sue Call. I have to. The only way I can remember the name of that episode is I. I have to. I have to make up the fact that it was about a girl named Sue. Or a boy named Sue I actually would be more apt. And I once I can say Sue, otherwise I wind up with some other combination of letters that never comes out right. But my point is that scarcity may not have been the main thrust of Sue Call. It may have been about that central title character and how weird that was. And then reflecting on, it's like, really? The whole season is about this whole season is about this guy and his temper tantrum? Um, but scarcity, I think. Fits for both, but I will say this, and I want to, and I, if we're, are we, are we getting serious now? Are we out of joke stage, at least for these 10
0: When are we ever getting serious? <laughs> I said
1: for at least for these 10 seconds. If you put up, I just want to start off with something. I oh, mean, sure. we can, yeah, scarcity is a thing. So the, so the scarcity of lithium is, is uh, fueling the plot of this whole, sis, this whole series, this whole, well, series for the Brits, season for Americans. So there's, there's, there's lithium under a jewelry store like force field <laughs> in the season premiere it's a red matter force field the tide is you or red the hero programmable is matter something yeah yeah uh, so you got the idea right off that delithium was very rare it's even rarer than it normally is when people you know have go to war over a dilithium planet or whatever but what got me this week I can't t- I can't decide whether to start off with this or bring it up later so I'm just gonna do it. Uh, let's
0: it's hot let's uh, strike with the irons hot Larry it's, there, on your it's mind a' right now.
1: Um, Oh, damn, I just think I just realized I didn't, did I not say, I didn't send you, I didn't send you an image with um, a caption underneath it, did I? Damn. Um,
0: I don't, I don't think so, I but I have, realized, I have a lot of images related to a scene from this week's episode,
1: uh, which I
0: think you're probably referring to.
1: Well, I'm referring to that scene, but I didn't yeah. send the one I that I made.
0: Is it about uh, the apples?
1: Which, huh? No, everybody kept going, I said this on Twitter, and I didn't say it, I just said, oh my god, this." there was a line that struck me yeah. as a part of, here is Star Trek speaking for today's contemporary audience and themes, and that's the old Star Trek thing, modus operandi, but in all of Kurtzman Trek since 2017, in all of the secret Outpost, uh, all of Discovery, all of Picard, all of Lower Decks… This line knocked me off my chair as far as Star Trek speaking to today right now. Yeah. And I just went, well, I mean, I went back and listened again, and then I went back and, like, made the best caption that I could, image, and then I forgot to send it to you. <laughs> it's during the negotiation scene yes, between Admiral Vance and Osira. And he's, it's when they go through the whole thing, and as an audience, I think the upshot of this show, aside from, oh, look, they've got the bridge crew working together again. Yeah, it's this scene, but it's like several scenes. What happens at the end of this sequence, and again, we can get back to scarcity because it's the scarcity of the lithium that actually split these two apart and is driving them back together. The setup that we've had has been a typical, oh, here's good Starfleet Federation and here's bad – villain, you know, and she's even Orion. Ooh ooh. They're wearing white hats and green hats or something now, I guess. Um, so to speak. And about the time that this episode surprised us and when she's talking sense, you've got Eli in there, the truth-telling uh hologram or the truth sensing hologram, uh, you know, the, reading the biofactors. And she's actually trying to negotiate. She's actually making concessions mm-hmm. and it's turning, you know, it's like, what now we don't we're out of cardboard villain here, cardboard villain <laughs> minister priestess. And we're actually into something meaningful. And that that got me to sit up and take notice. And her having her, you know, and, and, and with with Eli being the fact checker there, it's like, so what's going to stop this? This is like an amazing scene. It's rolling along. The rest yeah. of the show is kind of predictable. Look, the bridge crew is being heroic yeah. together. Yay. Um, what turns it back to being OK, what's the conflict is when he demands that she atone for her crimes, turn herself in, she won't be a legitimate, you know, she won't be a, a a responsible negotiating party in the eyes of popular opinion. Because of what she's done, she can't run away from that. So it's great that you're having this revelation now. It's great that you come in to do this. But no one will ever trust you because of your record. That's obvious. And she's but 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 budding and that's the deal. That's the breaking point, right? That's when she leaves. And he wonders if he pushed too hard, too fast. But in route to that moment when he's putting his position out there and saying you cannot represent your people in this because you have no you have no credibility. No gramba. Yes. You have no credibility as a reformer, as a person who can be trusted to negotiate these big, hard questions. She says, oh, come on now. I'm saying this is a new leaf. Look what I've given you. Everything I've written down is true. Can't you see that we're willing to turn over a new light? Yeah. And and a piece of me went back to um um, I keep wanting to say proximity. It's the it's the Voyager uh, episode that I didn't pull a slide from. Uh, Equinox. It reminds me of good people gone bad who want to get back to their goodness without atoning for the bad. You know, it's easy oh, to sure. be cardboard villain yeah. from birth. Yeah. But the yeah, line yeah. the line that got me. And then I'll get back to the regular, normally regular scheduled show was when she says, basically, she's saying, oh, come on, we're living in the now. We're looking ahead. I'm offering you all this. Let's move along. And the Admiral Vance says. She says, why are you looking to the past? And he says, the past is the only light with which we can see the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I went bang. I'm thinking we've had two or three generations here in our country. I'm thinking of the Nuremberg trials after Germany. Mm-hmm. If somebody had said after the war, you know what, we've ruined their country. Um, isn't that bad enough? Why do we have to punish the German people and what's left of their leadership? Why don't we just all say they surrendered and we move on? What have we done that? We didn't because it was a cleansing for us, but it was a cleansing for the German people. That's just one historical example. We've had a lot of cases in history the last 40, 50, 60 years where people who did horrendous bad things that completely affected the flow of history and millions of individual people's lives go go totally scot-free. And people say, well, you know, let's heal and move forward. Why are we looking backwards? We need to look forward. And I'm talking about political issues. I'm talking about economic issues. I'm talking about, at times, um, very much legal issues in serving time. And I thought this was a case where Star Trek is saying what I always say, which is you cannot move forward. I mean, like the Nixon pardon by Ford after Watergate. It was like, well, we're healing the country. It's like, no, that allowed a whole generation of young bucks to, to feel like they had to avenge that. You know, or finding equals. Well, the other side had to do something bad too. We're all bad. Everybody does something bad. You picked on us. You went beyond the everybody knows everybody does it. So now we're gonna get back and pick at you for decades. So I'm sorry, I got off on a rant here. But this I was just like, whoa. And it didn't come at you like, Okay. Now we're gonna give you a little political meme here, a little ethical morality, you know, a big a big picture generational morality lied it just kind of came out of nowhere to me and i was like whoa and the fact that they wrote this a year or two ago yeah and we're just <laughs> now seeing it and it speaks so much to our times right now okay I'll, that has nothing to do with scarcity hey, well it's a scarcity of justice and common sense and no what i was going to ask you <laughs> the pain and the damage <laughs> that some things cause that get you know um, papered over to move in the name of oh let's move ahead let's move on and look forward don't worry about you know which is now you're into atonement and judgment and justice which could be another topic I know but I just wanted to mention that and then my secondary thing was have I me personally everybody has gets out of Star Trek what they want to get but I was like have I had such a reaction to a line of current modern Star Trek since 2017 and I don't think I had so I just wanted to put that out there. Um, now back to our regularly scheduled theme.
0: Well, this—I mean, what I was going to ask you uh, is, what did you think of these last two episodes? But so your answer is is, is right there. Um, that was a really uh, beautiful scene, and this admiral, our relationship with um, with the thirty second. Century Starfleet has been um, a little wibbly wobbly. Um, we haven't really understood quite what their intentions are, but Admiral Vance. Or even she, all that
1: they're grappling with.
0: Or all that. Yeah. We have a very small window into who these people are and what they're dealing with. But um, this Admiral keeps showing us in these small moments um, what those Federation values are are Mm -hmm. um we see it right here with uh that was a that was a whole that was an incredibly beautiful
1: scene to see it unfold it was um after we tricked into thinking wow she really is trying to give up a lot wow she really is trying to make peace this is not just a cardboard cut out villain she's you know well
0: i think both are true i think she is Mm -hmm. trying to make peace and -hmm. at the same time um she does not want to be held accountable for the things that she's done, um, it, it's a beautiful scene where both are uh, both of the players in the room, or I should say, all three of them, including the um, emergency lie detector hologram. <laughs> um, <laughs> love, love the bow tie, by the way. Um, yeah. that that character has. They start in one place, and by the end of the it's episode, that, Kurtzman
1: Trek sense of humor and costuming. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs>
0: um, speaking of costumes, I think um, Jared was saying. The more he sees those um, Starfleet costumes, the more Bajoran they look. I really love, it's I dependent. love those costumes. Yeah, I love them. Um, they're all 3D printed to make them look even more futuristic. And I just, um, I, I really adore these future costumes. They're, it's really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. But that whole scene was really lovely. Um, and Larry, there's a lot and, of
1: that scene. There's a long arc to that scene. And it does, yes. it's very much about, the. and I sent you one too, a couple. The yeah. you said it. The apple scene that I think it's like yeah. everywhere I look, I think of this whole show. But it's like everybody has glommed onto the apple moment.
0: Uh, but yeah, that, the apple that, moment the is, is. Yeah, yeah, the apple moment um <clears throat> it does get at scarcity, and we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, but Admiral Vance, uh, in a few episodes prior, was t- uh, talking to um. Uh, talking to Saru and saying, like, we don't leave people behind, Saru. Like, um, we, this is, this is all we have. All we have is each other. So there's been some wonderful moments where they're reflecting back, uh, what it means to be, uh, a member of the Federation in this very difficult future. So I'm with you, Larry. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, when we look at this season, And what everyone's grappling with in this future through the lens of scarcity, I I think it makes a lot more sense. Um, I'm going to tie back to this in the counselor's log, but why don't we, um, why don't we open it up to the briefing room here? Let's talk about how scarcity, um, has played out in, um, in, in the wider canon. And, um, there are a lot of different areas we could, uh, we could start (laughs) out here And, and let us know in the comments too what episode of Star Trek really uh resonates with you when it comes to the idea of scarcity um and and this this conflict between desire and resources needs and resources when there is this mismatch when you when there is not not enough of something to go
1: around yeah and um, uh perceived finite amount yes
0: yeah and and this is where i'm I'm gonna i'll go off my soapbox and say we're not we're not really talking about replicator's and lack of money here um even if you have replicators or even if you're in some kind of post money economy um scarcity still exists um there's not enough holodex to go around on the Enterprise. Like people like um it, you can't you can't replicate dilithium as we see in in this whole season of Star Trek Discovery. There's always going to be some kind of mismatch between uh, you
1: can uh, recrystallize existing dilithium. Yeah. You still got to right. go find yeah. Yeah, you still got to go find some. You something. still got to go so, have your dumb mining treaty plot somewhere,
0: yeah. So um where where do you want to get started, Larry? There's um, there's great stories related to scarcity. You, yeah,
1: scarcity, and you've outlined some angles. We've got scarce yeah. like resources. We've got scarcity of, and what that means for a functioning society. Then you've got scarcity in a crisis. Yes, uh, and if we're thinking about scarcity as like hard, durable goods, because if you're if you're post replicator. It becomes an issue of, well, what's – if you can make anything – out. see, that's one thing about the apple seed, and it's hard because even though we've got the scarcity of the lithium and it's it's shrunk the Federation and people on the, the – the, after the mystery of the burn and the instability of – or people are afraid of the lithium or they're dicey about it. or It's been 120 years or so Something since like the that. burn happened, right? But there's still – people are still antsy about it, and – I mean, here's the Federation, the Federation, and they're using um, programmable matter, which is still, you know, g whiz technology. I'm still not used to it. I yeah. still think it's a ridiculous cheat, but okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, so is warp-driving transporters in 1964, but um, it's like on one hand, they've still got incredible technology. It's just this one thing they're that's, you know, fueling, and, and it's now that you've heard her little speech, the Emerald Chain is trying to get to non-dilithium based warp drive it's almost like she's championing you know solar batteries for cars or electric batteries in cars instead of going with big oil or something it's like she could have been her own green uh movement there okay yeah um no pun intended on the orion <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um it's amazing. They're all gleaming. They're all in these brightly lit gleaming environments here at Starfleet and the Federation, but they're talking about scarcity. It's really hard as a writer, I'm thinking, to say, okay, we have to have something driving the split, driving a shrinking Federation where they're not in the driver's seat. They're on, they're on the, the odds and where you know the Emerald Chain is actually a viable option to them because they're, they're living on the streets, as it were, the space streets. You know, they're getting the job the done for streets. people. I don't know. The space streets of San Francisco. That used to mean, you know, the alleys behind Starfleet. Okay. Um, and it's like I guess they had to say this whole thing about you can't replicate the lithium, you still gotta go mine it. What would be the Achilles heel of even thirty-second century feder you know, thirty-first century, thirty-second century. Starfleet is it's gotta be the lithium. So I can I can see why if they're gonna set up this story arc And this paint them into a corner where the writers had to go to get there. And it's like, because very little else. We talk about replicators and post scarcity economy. A lot of people today, uh, my friend Manu, that wrote a book called Truckonomics, talks about this. Because if you can have a, if you can, and and they got into it on DS9 when they, you know, they jump out of the gate talking about, oh, go press Latinum, la, la, because we've had no money in the Federation because we have replicators. And people—they're still working out exactly what that looks like. But then we've got Ferengi's who are doing deals, and along the way we talk about Klingon Darsex and Cardassian Lex and all this. You know, everybody else has a currency and uses a currency for trading. And we've gotten into this, I think, a couple of times. And people can do that. But here you've got a space station—that's the, you know, the Casablanca or whatever, the crossroads of the world—and you've got Ferengi's. And they're very much in the middle of currency, and Gold Press Latinum was invented for DS9, and it took about five seconds for somebody said, wait a minute. If you've got replicators, we're back to that old thing about why does the Federation not need money, and everybody else does. Okay, well, maybe they're not as broad-based as the Federation. They went different ways. But when they finally explain who mourns for mourn – and I should have brought a slide for it, but I didn't – when they finally – it took six years – Five or six years to finally figure out that gold pressed platinum is special, and you can base a currency on it because it's not replicatable. Replicable because it's actually liquid platinum. Oh, I sent you a thing, a little glass image. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Of, uh, so it's yeah. actually they finally figured out how what makes it special and not just oh we can replicate that. It's liquid platinum suspended inside a gold a gold brick or a gold whatever so worthless it's, I, gold. Yeah, (laughs) it's worthless gold, yeah. So they finally said, well, here's what's valuable about Latinum makes it a trading commodity in the basis of a currency. Because we go back to saying, you know, you can make lead or gold in a replicator. They're all just molecules. So if, you know, if we can put in a pattern file and make either one, why is either one valuable? What's, you know, we can make anything with a replicator. Basically, you can't make the lithium. So there's value to the lithium. Anyway, it's this aging thing. This all, you know, and yeah, things turned, and we, you have a soapbox about wanting to look at Earth, yeah. history and mm-hmm. when that turned,
0: yeah, but, yeah, and I mean the the when we were talking, but what about I'm this. saying
1: is, the writers today, given all of that, they had to find something they could go back to, even 800 years in the future, to blow all that up, and they went with about the only path they could with the whole yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah no i think um i uh, i see where you're headed now and i agree um that is one way to to create the type of um intergalactic Mm -hmm. um intragalactic i should say we don't know what's happening in other galaxies but um (laughs) intragalactic uh chaos that's happened here and the unstabilizing force um yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and scarcity doesn't always refer to tactile resources. Scarcity, we definitely see scarcity of time. Um, I was just watching Shore Leave the other day, um, the TOS episode, and it's very clear.
1: We have no time to talk about... T- no, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> um, it's very clear that... Um, Captain Kirk, uh, like all the other captains that come after him, have very much a scarcity of time. And they act in ways, when I get into the counselor's log, that are very similar to people who might have scarcity of food. Of um of housing, of other resources. There's the same types of traps that people fall into. So mm-hmm. scarcity can refer to a lot of different things. But maybe we should talk about um maybe a good you just kind of set us up for talking about praxis and talking about um scarcity mm-hmm. of resources and the um unstabilizing effect that those can have on on geopolitics. Um we see this in Star Trek Six where um practice exploding um v- due to overmining if i remember correctly um very much uh, mirroring the events of uh chernobyl chernobyl mm-hmm. was much chernobyl was not about overmining but it was mi- very much a human made actually social yeah. disaster that um that resulted in a um a human social psychological disaster that had a huge devastating impact right.
1: But human um, error, as far as human the, error, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But the um, what Chernobyl represented for the Soviet Union and what Praxis represented for the Klingon Empire, there's there's a parallel there. But it's very clear um, in that Starfleet briefing, the one I, I quote so often here: uh, "Let them die." Um, prior to that, that briefing, the Klingon Empire cannot survive. It will die without some type of assistance, without some type of peace. They can't continue to fight this war. And Kirk says, let them die for a reason because of everything he's experienced. And Spock is sort of reflecting back, Jim, we can't let that happen. Can you imagine what would happen to this whole region of space if we let the Klingon Empire die? And Larry, I'm going to do something here that I'm going to add a little texture To the canon. Texture not trivia? Okay. Texture not trivia. Hashtag. Based on the pilot to Star Trek Discovery, we now know how many factions there are out there in the Klingon Empire. We know. Mm -hmm. And houses. And how hard... It has been for them to unify and how that must be some kind of stabilizing effect in this uh, region of space. And so you can see when Spock says, like, we can't let this happen, Jim, um, that's the risk. If you let this large entity fall um, due to the scarcity that they're going to experience now, we're all going to suffer. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the 2000 economic collapse you know all these banks, these too big to fail banks, and how they got bailed out. 2008. What did I say?
1: You said 2000, but yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That's well, there was a, also there's the dot com bust. There's been a lot of disasters. Was, yeah. I... Um, but 2008. Um, as much as a lot of people around the world, uh, especially Americans, hated the fact that we were bailing out these banks. Um, you let the banks fall. And eventually people will not be able to get credit people will not be able to buy the things that they need to and, and we're in this big giant mess so um, yeah
1: scarcity can I also say can that big, that whole huge... yeah. yes I'm sorry can no, I, no, I go just ahead. Go say ahead. that the whole Please. that whole Star Trek 6 let them die we can't plot was exactly flip that to the Romulans and you've got the plot of the backstory and plot of Picard same thing Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. basically
1: basically you do you do and and one um, one person standing up to do what's right even though the you know and in star trek six's case spock pulling kirk back to what needed to be done was what needed to be done even in a you know group setting of the command staff there in picard's case they didn't get that mainly because you had a mole working if you know it you listen to to Clancy, and it sounds like, and others maybe it sounds like there was a real morass of of um, of intention in the Federation anyway, as represented through Starfleet, or maybe it was all the work of Commodore Ooh, and you know, and her mole and being there. And if she hadn't been a mole inside Starfleet, egging all that on and manipulating it to her to her aims, maybe it wouldn't have gone the way it did. But we don't know. We don't know how much power she had over. You know the council and the command staff to to keep to, to ignore Picard and go against what he wanted to do. But
0: I, I have a very important correction I need to make. Thank you, Cairo. Um, I meant cosmopolitics, not geopolitics. Is what praxis is <laughs> is all about. Um, I also want to say uh, before before we forget, because uh, we might forget um, someone someone was saying, are we are we still talking about Star Trek Discovery? Because. Um, uh there's there's a lot more we could we could talk about here uh like the fact that we haven't seen klingons yet but i just want to mention jared reminded us that um we we don't have a scarcity here of star trek this was the 800th mm-hmm. episode or 800th hour it's the
1: okay here's trek? the thing It's was and my friend aaron, uh aaron harvey did a great graphic people have been watching this thanks to um I'm trying to – I realize there's some counter going by that does this, but um, – oh, maybe it's the Memory Alpha thing where it's – it, they do an overall counter of all Star right. Trek shows, and yeah. it was getting up to 800. I think that's where this started. But it was the 800th title. Now, years ago, oh, because we've title. got – and this is all – you know, when we say hours and half hours and two-hour movies, it's all rounded off. But basically, for right. years, I've used a count of giving an hour for episodes – Two hours for the movies, half hour for the animated, and now short treks, like even 15 minutes. Five minutes. minutes. Quarters, yeah, quarters. (laughs) And I've kept my own tally when people say, oh, we've had so many, you know, well, to make apples and apples, whether they're made of shit or anything else, um, you know, or oranges (laughs) to oranges. (laughs) To keep the count meaningful, I've kept an hour, my own hour count. So everybody was going on about it. This was the 800th title. What's amazing is I sat down and I updated the last year or two. I updated my hour count where I convert things to those. And yes, I know. Like I said, they're they're forty five minutes or forty eight minutes, you know, not or twelve minutes, not fifteen or whatever. Movies run long and run short. But but that code, this this was also the eight hundredth hour. By that, I was like, I was gonna have it be a little short. Treks caught things up by giving short treks fifteen minutes. Uh, it's like it caught up for anyway, and having more animated be half hour, but having Laura Dex come in and be, t- I was amazed because I wound up with the count. Ca- who knows that'll ever happen again? But um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so whether so, my point here was whether you met now. Somebody was measuring the actual timings of all these episodes and all these movies, yeah. and yeah. came up with something you know probably a little short than that. And I'm like, oh my god, really? And I thought I was being anal, but it's fine. It's cool. It's Star Trek fan. I,
0: um- I'll, I'll just share one little story from the week. So I'm saying we're...
1: 800 titles, 800 hours. It's amazing. So yes.
0: It's it's amazing. And um, no 20, 20, scarcity 20. of it. And you know what's great about that, Larry, is there's a type of Star Trek story out there for you, whoever you might be. Speaking up, a friend of mine came up to me this week. Not, didn't come up to me because we're in coronavirus times. This is over Zoom. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, it would be like, hey, back off. What are you doing here? Uh,
1: it's that new but, series, The Masked Star Trek Fan.
0: Okay. <laughs> so a friend of mine came up to me and said, Hey, Ali, I finally did it. I watched my first episode of Star Trek. Um, I thought you'd be interested to hear this. And I, and I was like, wow, that's, that's very exciting. Cool. What episode did you watch? And they said, Oh, it was the one where, um, they beamed down to the planet. <laughs> he didn't he was yes. saying he yes she, she. Um, and I, I I almost spit out whatever I was drinking and I was laughing so hard the and they're they're like w- 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 was that a bad one to watch and I said <laughs> you no, didn't watch like... the
1: one where they beamed down to the planet did you yeah. <laughs> I was like that's like
0: every episode of the, this 800th our adventure you're about to oh, go come on outside. every other
1: one every
0: other one the other ones they're on the ship because they they're couldn't afford shows, they right. couldn't afford planet hell they couldn't fire up planet hell that week yeah yeah, yeah. oh gosh um anyways i thought i thought uh all of our did lifers she... would uh, for the record it was encounter at farpoint it was um episode one of uh of PNG. next gen
1: did she yeah. did she understand did you tell her did you she understand later or Oh, I explained! Oh, trust me, I okay. This is a common plot device in every other Star Trek, at least. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but it kind of makes you... Uh, um. It, it, there's this thing in psychology called the curse of wisdom, which is it's hard to unknow what you know. So it's hard to it's hard to remember what it was like to not know what the moon is.
1: When you hear about someone who's a new fan and they say, and they say, I'm going to watch so-and-so with the, you know, the original series or next gen for the first time. And a little piece of you is envious. Yeah. 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 To have fresh it's, eyes. Yeah. They get
0: to, they get to experience this all for the first time. We, we can't remember what it was like to look at a phaser and be like, why did, why are they walking around with hot glue guns? As my wife likes to say. And I'm like, <laughs> Sweetheat, those are not hot glue guns. <laughs> but um, you know, when you when you have the curse of knowledge, you can't unknow what this is like. So, um, hearing from new fans who are experiencing this for the mm-hmm. first time, it's always uh, yeah. There are a lot so of gentle.
1: there are a lot of podcasts out there where that's the conceit of the show, or they pair oh, right. a, a pair of new eyes with a yeah. veteran. You know, it's and it's whatever. They're friends. There's there's dad and daughter. You know, uh, friend and friend shows for their new. I mean, that's a that's a good conceit, and it's love. It, I mean, I I get it. When I was in grad school in 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 theater grad school, I remember one of the professors talking about sitting behind, going to his mate Let's say Romeo and Juliet. He's sitting in an audience. Remember what that was like? He's sitting in an yeah. audience to see some production of Romeo and Juliet. And he's already thinking about the lighting and he's watching what's going on and how they're staging it and what the moti- you know, what era they set it in. It's not, you know, period. And he's, his head is all into this stuff. And he all of a sudden, toward the end of the show, he realizes there's a little girl in front of him and like her dad next to her or something. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he hears the little girl say, oh, no, he's poisoned herself himself. You know, like he doesn't know that she faked it. And she she went, oh, no. And, and oh. the observer went. It was like totally shook him out of all of his like, you know, 47th level deep dive on the production. And he was like, wow, how great it is to be seeing Romeo and Juliet for the first time and not knowing how the plot, yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. The plot. But it, it's, yeah. it's it's that over and we have that over and over again. It's like, wow. And when you find or when you're when you've been around the block with Trek once or twice and you realize and it's hard to do this now with IMDb and Netflix. But that time when you realize somehow there was a show, you know, years later, there was a show you'd missed and you get to see it for the first time. And mm. oh, my God, it's like the lost show for me and I get to see it or whatever. It's, the, and it's yeah. the reaction people had to Star Trek continues a lot. And a lot of the fan, the, you know, the fan films that were really a above the bar in uh, phase two, I guess uh, people are like. I felt like I heard that over and over again. I felt like I just found a lost episode. Speaking of scarcity, we better get back to the topic. But, we better get back to the
0: topic. Um, yeah. I um the the comment section has brought up a few great examples from Voyager, actually. <laughs> gotcha. So yeah,
1: yeah, Voyager was like all about the scarcity. I mean, I threw you one that was kind of an easy one there when they. And sometimes it didn't quite make. Having these wonderful things. Oh, the soup, the bullion soup episode. The, the this one. This Larry. is from the pilot when he goes in to get a yeah. Th- but this is pre their burn. This is pre jump to, um, yeah. the Delta quadrant. But um, he, but it's they they wound up having. I did that to illustrate later on. They have replicator rations. Rations.
0: Yeah, that's what Charlotte mentioned. But the holodecks okay. Replicator rations. Um, and then uh, more recently we got a comment. Um. About um, the Kazon. Um, as much as I dislike the Kazon as, oh, and as unworthy they I were of assimilation of by the Borg. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite little uh, trivia moments right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Kazon are very much a good story about scarcity here. They sound um, like
1: the Emerald Chain. I was laughing about when the t- Emerald Chain people show up with fiber hair that I'm going to get a little suspicious. But <laughs> and um, that they thought uh, the Federation was hoarding technology the way the Kazon thought Voyager was being a yes, snob for not. Yes. When the Voyager, she's trying to adhere to prime directive principles. And... Yeah. Although um, they, had, they have they have space flight. They're not packlids. I mean, they got they may no, have overtaken it, but they're not you know, they, they don't they know how to run their stuff or at least get it keep it going kind of
0: well so nathaniel brought up uh the Kazon story and um i'm i'm very excited to talk about the counselors Law. and
1: water today, on Ocampa, too but that And water
0: yeah we yeah, try not um, to
1: remember that okay
0: Um, I've always disliked the Kazon until probably just now, this very moment, because now I see them looking at them through this light of scarcity. I see them very differently. And I think that'll make more sense when you get to the counselor's log, but
1: a little little more, a um, little more lenient on the Kazon. They work a little more. Yeah.
0: Um, there's, there's a lot of great episodes, um, from Janeway wanting more coffee, um,
1: to (laughs) in that nebula. In yeah.
0: that nebula, to um, um, uh, f- scarcity of allies,
1: to, um, to yes. Oh, well, they're always after something, Berindium or Durindium, or they, they're they even having a war. Anything that's high-tech manufactured, would, how many times do they go chasing after some other culture's warp coils? I'm like, yes. Okay, you're going to hotwire that in somehow? Okay. Well, but,
0: and, know- and flip things around. Um, there's a lot of episodes where aliens are after replicator technology because they haven't seen any technology like this <laughs> in this region of space, um, which is a very interesting way to think about it, um, where it's scarcity in the other direction. We, we sort of take that technology for granted in alpha beta quadrants but um in parts of the delta quadrant they haven't they haven't seen this kind of stuff or or it's scarcity of of yeah. knowledge as it comes to um medical issues that come across the Phage is is a great example mm-hmm. of that they they do they have no idea what they're getting into neelix is supposed to help them out in these sort of endeavors but sometimes they're just warping into the great unknown um without any knowledge or anything to sort of help them uh navigate. Um um Sabrina's bringing up uh, the herogens
1: um are um yeah they're their... another technology um um jealous which would you say yeah on the holiday yeah,
0: let's and let's it... go with
1: technology jealous
0: <laughs> tech jealous they another and example it, and it, of does, that. So it yeah.
1: lives to bite everybody on the butt because they are so yeah. yeah.
0: And I agree with Charlotte. Coffee is a very serious manner. We we have seen what happens to me when I have not had enough coffee yet. It ain't pretty, folks. It's it is scary. not. It is not pretty. Um, should we? Um, uh, we uh, the other one I really want to talk about. Um, I uh, someone mentioned this earlier. It might have been Charlotte actually about um, scarcity that's that's sort of imposed upon people. Uh, she brought up the example mm-hmm. of of the Bajorans and the occupation of Bajor and um, the destruction of their civilization sort of as, as a result of that um, which is a really great example. The other one that I brought up that I was, I thought of and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is completely artificially created scarcity for control is Ketris. Yes. White? Um, by the dominion it's so, part
1: of for, the dna literally yeah
0: it, it's quite literally a part of the dna for the 0.5 percent of you who aren't aware um the gem <laughs> hadar if you're not go watch deep space died it is amazing but um some would say
1: it's the best track of all
0: <laughs> those some would include me um in in that in that statement um <clears throat> Jimindar are bred in in that really great episode uh where we first meet um the baby Jimindar that Julian sort of tries mm-hmm. to raise um we learn that the they foundling.
1: are Oh wait wrong franchise okay. right or wrong
0: yeah close close but no uh, replicated cigar there um, the the Jem'Hadar are are genetically engineered as much of the Dominion um, culture are like the Vorta and, and all of that by the founders uh, and they are engineered to be um, to be dependent chemically dependent on Ketracel white and they use Ketracel white to ensure their control over these soldiers um, there are a few interesting storylines that we see over the course of deep space nine. And that were hypothesized maybe in the star Trek, uh, deep space Nine season eight, where maybe Jem Hadar's play around with, uh, evolving beyond Ketrasil white. Um, but for the most part, we don't see Jem Hadar being able to survive without this. And so there's a great scarcity of white and there's that episode. Um, Larry, you probably remember the name. Um, where, uh, Cisco and crew are fighting against the Jemhadar and there's not enough white left. And, um, the Jemhadar commander says, uh, meets with Cisco and says, look, I'm, I'm running out of white. And so my people I think are it's rocks
1: of... and shoals. There's rocks and shoals of... sounds
0: right. Yeah. 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 yeah that sounds it's right. A, it's a, it's a, it's a war, seven.
1: actual wartime episode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and Hippocratic Oath
1: life. is where Bashir tries to figure out why there's a, there's a genetically mute, mutant Gemhadar that doesn't, that isn't addicted to, yes. to white and he tries to replicate that and they figure out that it's not replicate It was just a one-time mutation. He can't yeah. manufacture it. So yeah, we got little bits and pieces, but yeah, the rocks and shoals, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Oh no. I yeah, was just going to say they, um, they decide to go out in battle Speaking because if scares. they don't, they're going oh. to, um. They're going to destroy each other because they're going to run out of white. Um, And so this is I think there's a lot of uh, I'll go back to cosmopolitan implications here. There's a lot of implications here for for society and um, how it might benefit those in power to keep uh, to keep other uh, quote unquote classes of people under their control and to keep them dependent on, on different things, whether it's drugs or whether it's uh, some other types of resources.
1: Yeah, I sent you saw. an image from original series. I was really trying to yeah. – and by the way, we get into this sometimes. They talk about – they didn't call them replicators and we had the food slots instead of replicators. But they had – how many times in the original series did they like going to Neural or going to the Nazi planet on Ecos when they would say – have ship stores or have the ship's computer make us native outfits. Yeah. But there was one time, especially when they're, yeah, even ahead of this, there was, this is uh getting into the scarcity bit, but as far as replicators go, there was one time on in, um, in cat's paw when they try to seduce Kirk and his, they throw a plate of gemstones at Kirk and his guys. And he's like, our computers can make these, you know, and that's when it really, when I was a kid, it was like, oh my God, if they can make gemstones, they can make gold. That's why everybody's equal. Because, you know, <laughs> I remember being 15 or 16 and getting it then and going, oh, wow, that's a new paradigm. But this, but some things were not replicable. And Xenite was one of them. And that's the mining on Ardana and the whole strata City, you know, the two, the two tier caste system of the workers below and the intellectuals above. And they were a Federation member, apparently didn't get checked up on real closely, and they show up to get the Zenite to put down a plague, so they've got a scarcity issue there, and you get into the whole class war system that's about to blow up, and how and how good old Kirk and Spock intercede on the Undertrod on their behalf. But that's like two scarcity bits going on. The Xenite is scarce, and they need it for the plague on the other planet, on um, whatever it was, and But at the same time, there's a scarcity of how they're controlling, you know, how the people with the power are controlling the society, which is what you were getting into there, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, (laughs) if we if we're talking about that, I think there is a clear episode getting back to this is, again, the problem with Deep Space Nine, as is now a trope of Life Support Live um, pretty much. (laughs) Every episode could always apply to every theme with every character, but um, let's go to past tense. Um, past tense is the episode yes. that we've we've often brought up on the show. Um, I where... almost don't
1: think of this as the DS Nine. I think of this is like an Earth history episode. Thank you, Ira. And It, and we'll it, think, uh...
0: it does feel <laughs> like it's its own thing. It, it, it feels like it's. Uh, if th- I think there's like ten episodes of Star Trek. That feel like they exist outside of the whole continuum of Star Trek, and what they I mean by that, warp bubble, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're <laughs> sort of they sort of rise above the series. Um, I think City um, on the Edge of Forever is one of those uh, tapestry is another one, um, Past Tense. I, um, yeah, there you go. There you, You've got you got your tapestry reference, even though we did a whole watch-along. If I was going to say, s- how
1: far can we get without a tapestry reference? But go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently one hour and one minute is how far we can get without... Uh... <laughs> Quantify. <laughs> <But>, uh...
1: <laughs> okay. <clears throat>
0: um, if day. folks haven't seen our tapestry watch-along, we did a watch-along this past Tuesday where we watched Star Trek... Monday monday gosh larry it's i am out of it <laughs> it's um we watched star trek uh the next generation's tapestry and we sort of talk about it it was a fun time so make sure you check that out if you haven't seen that yet but um charlotte says past tense feels too real now and um it, it very much has come true in one way or another especially if you look at san francisco um I live about forty minutes away from San Francisco. I'm going to San Francisco later today, and um, be careful. The city has, as as Silicon Valley and as the tech culture and the wealth of tech has really skyrocketed in the last uh, twenty years in in this area. The inequ- inequity in San Francisco has um has become so pronounced that. Past tense really has come true in, in, in some you way. You
1: totally see it there. That's what they're doing. They're, the tech yeah. community there is the people that find DAX to be the contrast.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it's absolutely <clears throat> exists here, and um, um, the great inequity of uh of poverty, of food, of um of how uh in this episode um. You know, you know the most the most damning thing of this episode Larry is when Bashir is so dumbfounded and he's like I just don't get it. How could they let this get this bad? How can they just stop caring?
1: Like and, the uh, image I sent you.
0: Oh. Oh, I I should pull this up. Uh if you this... sent me this image I should I knew find this it. was going to be a big one for you
1: so I said that. Yeah.
0: Um, I will find it and then I will post it.
1: It's the um, other past tense one. There's a street scene and then there's uh the one where they're they're in the background walking and you have Oh all yeah,
0: the- this is this is this one, right? This is yeah. uh this is this image. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, That's them in so, the background, but you've got all the homeless and the the cardboard box people and everything. And he's talking. But you're so saying this is this is
0: where <laughs> um Star Trek sometimes has a way of creating these connective dots of a of a larger tapestry, if you will, that exist across the series that um, that create all the texture that you talk about, Larry and mm. um, Bashir's Bashir's moment of uh, of frustration and venting, I think, is one of these moments where he's he's saying, "Why? How could it let people? How could people just not care and turn a blind eye to the plight Of all of these people who are struggling. Because we know they have the resources. Look at these people who are so wealthy, who are living such fabulous lives. How can they just not care at everything that's happening in their backyard? And Cisco's response is sort of like uh, Kirk's response at the end of A Private Little War. He's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's no right answer here. But it's this connective tissue that ties into... uh uh, the fallout of world war three i don't mean (laughs) the nuclear fallout but i mean the geopolitical fallout because we're just talking about earth here and the the big the the big amazing thing to me about star trek is not replicators and it's not uh this this economic future but it's about how we get from this which Mm -hmm. is what we see in first contact that this um Oh a planet really in disarray, governments just sort of in a total state of disaster from, from uh You've got uh, a
1: brilliant guy about to invent Earth's version. I was going to say Earth's version of Warp Drive. People say, and Cochran who invented Warp Drive. I go no. no. He invented yeah. Warp Drive on Earth because other people on yeah. the planets into the I mean the Vulcans not... got there with a certain warp yes. engine, so yes. yeah. but the Vulcan the Vulcan castaways, renegades ran off with Yeah. You know, when your mother was in diapers, and even further back. <laughs> but yeah, But yeah, so the earth inventor of warp drive, who's this brilliant scientist, he and Lily and his assistant or his fellow scientists, whatever, you want to, you know, not not Matthew Henson, her to Admiral Perry there too much. People say, you know, Lily did everything that Cochrane did except backwards and in heels. But um, that's a... Fred Ginger reference Fred uh, Fred Rogers that's it okay forget it anyway <laughs> the fact that you had these brilliant scientists developing warp drive in the midst of this you know they're scrounging around using you know tin shingling and duct tape and bailing wire and he has a pretty good looking you know capsule by the time he's done and he's, re- he's redoing parts from an unused Titan five or four whatever it was the advanced Titan model. You know this this missile that didn't get used in the war, that just happens to be down the road from where he is, um, or maybe that's why they're in Bo. Originally, that wasn't Bozeman; that was just called. They were going to call that Resurrection City, like it was just yeah. a camp, and it got retconned to be after Brannon got off on his thing about making warp drive invented in Bozeman because he lives. Bozeman is one of his five hometowns. Uh, that's all a Brannon thing, by the way. So then, you know, retroactively, they in Voyager and especially Voyager, they would talk about Cochrane and you know meeting the Vulcans in Bozeman. But the point is, Bozeman's a decent sized city. It's not a metropolis, but it's a decent size city now. <laughs> and the fact that that's Bozeman, you know, the damage of World War Three and the fact that the established yeah. powers had all been up, you know, had all been messed. China and and U.S. at least and whatever the allies. coalition, yeah. Yeah, the econ and all that. But um yeah, the fact that civilizations survived. They didn't you know they weren't nuclear wintered into oblivion, but the fact that this guy is able to have this major scientific breakthrough with squalor like that and with most people living I mean, it it shows there's always going to be kind of a duality, but he was stuck with it. They were all stuck with having to help me out here. I mean you go Yeah, down, yeah. so
0: as, as um, they You're
1: using the Titan Museum in Arizona for a film site, but the basic thing remains that in that world, they're down in the silo. You see consoles. You see high-tech gear that wasn't bombed out that still exists, and you've got that past tense kind of dichotomy of there is at least some tech surviving among the ruins of what most people are having to live with ten years after World War Three.
0: Yeah, as, um, as Justin just said, Justin, um, by the way, this is your first time here. Welcome. Um, pre first contact Earth had huge scarcities. And when you had this level of destruction, um, yeah, they still have advanced technology. There's still pockets of it, but there's huge inequity um being able to move resources around is something that a government can do very well uh, a government can make sure that uh people have access to to basic or utilities or not or not and and i think that's we we only get a real s- small glimpse of um this post yeah i know i know uh vaccines um which you know back to our, our the beginning of this episode and, and why we're talking about scarcity right now but um the we we get a very brief glimpse of this uh post world war 3 pre uh first contact earth and it's not pretty but um in in a matter of of years um what is it about 150 years, Larry, from first contact to uh, to the launch of the Enterprise? Is that right? Oh, Or is it 100 90 years? years? Ninety. Ninety years. Yeah. So uh, let's just round up. Let's say 100 years. In in, in 100 years, we get from okay. from that to this world where they have solved problems like hunger, disease, poverty. So it's not replicators, folks, that got them out of it. It's not, um, it's not some kind of magical new, uh, future economy. Um, it's not Q. It's not Q. Okay. So, um, in about a hundred years, we get from Mm -hmm. first contact, um, scarcity, huge inequities to Star Trek Enterprise and overcoming disease, hunger, poverty. And so what got us there was not transporters, not replicator technology. It was not, um, it was not just the Vulcans. Um, it, it wasn't some type of post-scarity, post-scarcity economy, but it was this realization that if we do not work together here and if we do not unite together under some big goals, we're in trouble, folks. And, um, I, I always, it, I always remember that Star Trek's utopian future begins with a dystopian
1: story. It begins with World War Three, and um, it's like the it, cultural. It, it's like the cultural version of an individual that I was. I've seen this. I heard heard the phrase when somebody crashes and burns. It's like sometimes you have to hit total bottom before you know how bad things can get. Before you have an appreciation for living normally or living fulfilled or or being able to grow it's like you take those things for granted you have no idea and i think that's very true culturally i think it's really true right now we have a whole segment of the population that has no clue you know they, they either they either have no clue or they actively distrust the acquired common wisdom that we've had given to us which is always one of those scare tactics about how we'd wind up with a, you know, with a nuclear war or something that people lose touch with, um, lose touch with the foundations, the common wisdom, or the corporate memory well, or whatever. That that there's those guys that have the four generational cycle. I've I've said many times. Thank God we are not having a depression and a world war right now because a lot of this generation, not age, but a lot of people living today would never have made it through what you know the greatest generation did in the 30s and 40s because they've come so far away from what want is and mass the effect of of actions on a mass scale and how bad things can get they have no clue and they they have the arrogance of the of the unknowing that's what i'm yeah and,
0: and and that's why bashir doesn't understand like culturally they're in such a different place um it, it reminds me uh, we started up top at the hour or the last hour talking about um about <laughs> history and how the um what's the line again the past is the way in which we what the future
1: oh uh, his yeah uh, illuminate or light the future
0: right yeah and um there's there's a strong parallel here between uh World War II and Europe's attempt to rebuild with the European Union. And while there's been ups and downs um, on this journey, the, the idea of the EU was a really fascinating one, Larry. And I think there's a lot of parallels here with what happened during that era between First Contact and Star Trek Enterprise. Um, the Europeans leaders made this decision that we need to intertwine ourselves so much that it, it would not make any sense for us to go to war with each other at all. And the way did, they did that it was by forming the EU and c- making their economies completely interdependent. With
1: in the, with in the incremental economy. steps. It reminds me yeah. a lot of Articles of Confederation in the U.S., or even more tellingly, the Coalition of Planets first. Yeah. And, you know, they did the first step to get everybody there, and then they realized they needed to be even tighter in a, in a federation and then the ufp comes along the line you're talking about is the past is the only light with which we can see the future
0: yes yes yeah, yeah. and um my, that, and I my think there's there's uh, there's a Is lot it? here. There's a lot we could keep talking about, um, but I just wanted to uh, to share that those dots. These these dots are all yeah. sort of connected here. Well, um, and I
1: said last night that that would be perfect place to go set a new Star Trek series. I I haven't thought about. I mean, it, it cycles around. I've had other places too, but like we we're talking about where we're going to put the forty seven new Star Trek series. You know, there's so much unexplored background in canon, and having a series in that time frame would be awesome. You can even do um do one of those you know like it's a short season and it exists every two or three decades apart and you see some progression but in the yeah. in the uh in the interim time between uh World War 3 and first contact like where did or World War Three, First first contact and then say Archer's time uh I sent you one we were talking about how fast earth came back yeah the reason I sent you one of little Johnny Archer with his with his dad and his airplane his rocket model there is if he's about 10, this is like, what did I say? This is like uh 20, 21, 20 or 21, 30 or something. No, not the 21, uh, 10s, 20s. Anyway, this is only about 50, 60 years after world war three. So unless they're in a, you know, unless they're in a protected area or something, and they could very well have been that that's kind of, or they were among the privileged, which if he's a warp scientist, working for the united earth they may have been in a more privileged class yeah. so it may yeah. not be the best you know barometer but earth was earth did not go to the shits i mean we already talked you know we already saw Cochrane was able to put together the first warp craft from from scrap so they weren't totally bombed back to the stone age but or everybody wasn't it's some some were and some weren't but Anyway, they were able to function but they bounced back and got brought everybody along. By the time you see you see the launch and you see them celebrating and you see him chasing down um Hoshi in Brazil or where she was. I mean, they're running around the the, the world. They talk about it. the Zindi attack. Everybody's pretty united there. Um they've done something to pull everybody along by, you know, within that 100 years. So Yeah. Yeah. And that um, would that would be. I think that would be worth a series set in that time.
0: I think that I, I agree with you, Larry. Um, now that um, you, maybe, this I,
1: is, I, yeah. maybe
0: this is maybe it's a good time to uh, to move forward to our counselor's log, unless there's something else you want to.
1: <laughs> oh, let's. I'm just. I was trying to remember if there's anything I sent you on the side that I think we've. Yeah, let's I think we've do it.
0: covered the yeah, the big yeah, ones yeah, here.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, there was this. I don't know if you wanna if you wanna get into this.
1: Oh, I was saying. Well, uh, this is paired up with the other uh, scrapyard. So in this time, di- the Emerald Chain. Another example of this was kind of like nonlinear this week on my uh, the Emerald Chain, Hunan, the salvage yard where there they've got slave people working on. You know, it looks very Star Warsy where they're taking apart old ships and scrap and they're dealing in scrap. That's a perfect example of the Emerald Chain is very much. Mm. Uh, dealing with oh, right. uh, scarcity because salvaging old parts, it's not just, oh, we'll rep, we'll de-replicate it. And, um, you know, there's the orbitals junkyards and there's all the surface base where the action of the story happens. And, um, and that's a total sign that, I mean, they might have replicators, but they're not widespread because people are actually making an industry out of recycling, which yay, that's good. But, you know, in the height of Federation times, it was like, just take your dirty uniform, throw it in the d-replicator, and just take it back to atoms again and molecules, and then we'll make some new stuff later. We'll make some new apples. That's the one thing about the apple shit scene is that it's like, well, that's what they've always been. Carl Sagan, yeah. you're yeah, all star yeah. stuff. I mean, everything goes yeah. down to it. whether it's whether it's you know. Uh, shit or it's an actual apple or it's i don't know name it <laughs> everything goes down to moleculars you know atoms and then comes back in a replicator but it made the point i guess but um in that whole world of theirs salvage now and then i threw in the quailer seven or Qualar two scrap yard there they were scrapping ships but it was like a logical like why should we uh, that was a lot of replication involved in these huge vehicles because so, that's TNG era. That's you know, that's height of the Federation and the technology at its <laughs> at its height. So it's like, yeah, they still had scrapyards and they still had shipyards, but it was like it made sense in a resource allocation model. You know, like don't take everything down just because you can. Pull the parts off and, and lesser cultures that we you know, that we trade with might want that. So that's one thing. But what you saw in on Hunan there in in um discovery was a total we're back to this because when you see homeless people pushing along their garbage you know their their shopping carts cuz they're recycling cans out of the dumpster that's who that's the hunan level there don't you think i uh yes talking about so. scarcity yeah, yeah yeah anyway that's yeah, what that yeah. was so anyway
0: yeah, yeah. and i mean uh, the, to kind of um I, I think that we can also kind of tie these pieces as well um I think the reason why we're seeing so much of this stuff in the 32nd century, um, one of the reasons I'll get to in a second with the counselor's log, but the other reason is it, it makes sense that over the centuries, there has been, um, interstellar supply routes, um, everything works. These planets are, are all interconnected. Trade is interconnected. Resources are. The the technology is reached
1: scale to where that makes, it's like, settling the american west you had to come across on a wagon train six months and people live long enough to take a plane back in yeah. three hours you know? yeah
0: yeah exactly and um <clears throat> and if that was all suddenly disrupted by uh by this dilithium crisis um all the operations all the support um people would be stranded in all sorts of places it, it would be a big mess and that's You're what back we're to seeing.
1: horse and buggy days
0: yeah we're seeing the big mess there mm-hmm. um so let's jump into the counselor's log. Uh okay. So the counselor's log is the part of the show where I do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the psychology or the mental health here at play in this episode. And this is one I'm very um excited to talk about because when I first learned about this research, it helped me to understand so much of what has gone on in my life, but also what's going on in the lives of others. Um, so when we think about issues like poverty, people talk about um a lot of things that have contributed to it um, whether it's education um, access to resources living conditions uh, political representation um, history things like uh, slavery in the United States that has really kept the wealth out of um, a large group of, of people there's a lot of reasons why people might um, might be in a situation where they're experiencing poverty. <laughs> But what what has really confounded researchers for a long time is why do some people who are um, who have limited resources make decisions that might perpetuate those limited resources? So, for example, why do people who are in poverty, why do they also spend so much money playing the lottery or why might they have difficulty saving money? Um, why might they, um, have not take advantage of, of programs that are available them, to them to, to sort of help them. So psychologists have sort of looked into this problem. And what seems to be the case is, um, it, when you have a scarcity of a resource and it doesn't have to be money, it doesn't have to be housing. It doesn't have to be food. It can be time. It might even be Scarcity of friends, whatever scarcity you're experiencing, your mind goes for red alert and all it does is focus on that immediate problem. And this was probably a very good thing when we were hunter-gatherers and you were hungry (laughs) and your mind completely focused on you're hungry, get food, you're hungry, get food, how can you get food? But flash forward now thousands of years later and having scarcity of, let's say, money to pay the bills, your mind goes to red alert, you completely focus on that problem. And you ignore other problems that might be building up, you're not very good at solving those other problems. And you often make uh, not the best decisions as well. Um, It's it uh, whatever the scarcity is it's hogging all of your resources and this has been shown in in experiments as well there are um uh, this kind of research is very hard to do because it's you can't randomly assign people to poverty or wealth um that's not the way the world works but um psychologists have found these uh groups of uh of folks in india these sugarcane farmers and before their harvest they're quite poor After their harvest, they're quite wealthy. Mm. Um, and if you look at the way people think between those two times, the same exact people, um, when they're before their harvest, when they're poor, um, all of their resources are focused on, um, on how am I going to pay these bills? They're not good at solving problems. They ignore other problems. But when they're wealthy, they have much better long-term thinking. They're more flexible in their thinking. They make better decisions. So poverty not only, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, scarcity not only is a, is a stressor in itself, but it completely hogs all of our ability to solve problems. This is why, Larry, um, people who might be struggling to pay the bills, they might ignore um, things that are, uh, failing around them in their home and, um, until they completely fail and now it's a much more expensive repair. Um, when, if they caught it earlier, they might have been able to do something about this. I experience this all the time with scarcity of time. So, um, my, my weekdays are, uh, time is pretty scarce now. But when yeah. I was finishing up grad school, it was even worse. And so what happened to me is I was, I had so limited time. I didn't open my mail as it came in. And so I, I would forget to pay certain bills and then they would build into a bigger challenge and they would become a much bigger stressor that I wasn't able to,
1: to solve. It dominoed.
0: Uh, Yeah. It dominoes. Yeah. So, um, Uh, And this might happen even with loneliness. People who have a scarcity of friends might spend a lot of time thinking about how do I solve this problem? And then when they actually interact with people, they might act in ways that might actually push people away. So scarcity is something that um, it really robs us of our ability to solve problems effectively. I think this is this is playing out right now with twenty twenty one and um it is hard to fight this pandemic when you have a scarcity of of income and money one of the reasons why people might be making very dumb decisions when it comes to uh navigating the pandemic is they they've lost jobs they do not know how they're going to pay their bills and they haven't had enough support come in so how can you even think about navigating a pandemic when you don't have money to buy food you don't have money to pay rent and larry i think this is playing out in the 32nd century as well um the federation the guild the emerald guild which sounds like something like it's out of wizard of oz chain uh, yes emerald chain i'm yeah. sorry the emerald, the emerald chain.
1: guild uh, <laughs> no the emerald <laughs> guild would be out of D or something so yeah okay
0: right 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 um they're making decisions that are purely focused on the scarcity issues that they have, and they're ignoring all these other big problems. Like, like they're like the, this Federation has lost a lot of members. What the heck is going on that is leading them to lose Vulcans and Romulans? Like, what, what's happening here? And Trill. Like, there are a lot of bigger problems at play. And Earth. And Earth?
1: And Earth? And Earth? My goodness, God, Earth. But notice... Half half of half of the Emerald Chain, much less half of Federation, is human. It's like there are a lot of humans that didn't go, I'm not gonna stay stuck on this planet and hide behind the wall. It's like everything everything's I'm amazed they didn't get blown up. And I and you can say, well, the Earth case, they were fighting the whatever, the Reavers? No wait, that's that's wrong franchise. Um They were fighting the people they didn't know were also human. It was like Terra Nova times a thousand. But they didn't know they were human. But still, they had a kind of a motivation for pulling back inside. But no, yeah. I said this right off the bat. It's like, wait a minute, half of that Federation headquarters, or more—way more than half—is staffed by humans. There were a lot of humans who didn't go along with the official Earth decision, and there's a lot of humans fighting on the Emerald Chain side. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know, it's like yeah, things it's... were all yeah, loosey goosey. I mean, I,
0: I think when you when you start to see this you'll start to notice it in many ways in your life where once you once you see like oh this is actually a scarcity issue my time is actually a scarcity issue you know when you see it in that way you'll see these kind of these ways in which it it, it makes you go red alert and all your attention you divert all your power all your resources to this problem to the detriment of everything else around you this is one of the reason why high interest loans um heavily target people who are um, economically poor? These high-interest loans are horrible. Sometimes the interest rates on these are like as high as eight hundred percent. But they reduce some of the immediate problems that people have. So, uh, but people who are struggling with uh, when there's a scarcity of 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 money, they might take these loans and not look at. Well, this is going to keep me in such big problems in the future, but you know what? It's alleviating some of my problems now. They take them, um, because of this, of how scarcity warps our mind. It's the same way why sometimes I would say, Oh yeah, no, I can totally do that extra thing. I can totally do that extra thing when I have a scarcity of time because I think, Oh, in the future, I'll have more time. No, you won't. It's the same. It's going to be the same as it is now. Anyways, um, to connect it back to Trek and connect it back to, post-World War III era and Star Trek Enterprise era, we can't get to Star Trek Enterprise until we solve some of these basic scarcity issues that we have right now. And when we do, what this research really outlines is everyone is capable of making the really dumb decisions that we make when there's scarcity. But if we solve some of those scarcity issues, we might be unlocking a big potential of people to contribute to society in a way that could get us to that utopian future. You know, what, what unlocked potential is out there because, um, because people don't have enough money to pay their rent or people don't have enough money to pay for their food. So, um, all right. Um, I I said a lot. I'll come back to this um, in the, in the uh, away mission. Yes. Um, Because
1: we have a watch along and a guest to still squeeze in. Oh, oh my
0: wait. god! Oh, oh my god! No, I would, I would, uh, I would, I would just leave. <laughs> uh, Larry, can you indulge us in a K three factor? Um,
1: I can, I can. This is, it'll be kind of on a general level, but so here, here's the K three factor, guys, uh, where I take this week's theme and apply it to what my realm of the world is. Whoa! Here in Trekland, uh, we're gonna deep dive for a second and apply this to the real world side of Star Trek. And, uh, one of the most, and again, I'm going to go back to the original series scarcity. And the first thing that popped up for me was something you mentioned, scarcity of time as a production yeah. and yeah. oh, in yeah. the production, the two things, the, the, the big two of all production film and especially TV time and money. It's all about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. time and money are the two scarce resources So I I had an order. If you can put up what I sent you in order. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me pull it up. Um, One of them is a very technical picture. I'm sure none of you have ever seen it before. Oh, look, it's the original series Bridge. And I have that there because... No
0: bloody A, B, C, D.
1: Right. It's from the... Yes, from either one of those. The source was this side of paradise and then relics. That awesome line. I love that line. I use it all the time. Um, People in the day... And it's in Technicolor or whatever. Paramount Vision. Back in the day, (laughs) that was awesome. And yet, if you look at... I was digging and I didn't find a good one. But if you look at the set from a year earlier, done for black and white and then updated for color. The set for, say, Lost in Space, that was supposed to be in the 1990s and it was a human family. And, of course, Lost in Space, it was Lost The original Lost in Space was Mm -hmm. what it was. And it even started off serious and went goofy. But the sets for Lost in Space were full of all what everyone thought in 1964 were you know, all the blinkies. What Nick Meyer would later say, I want more blinkies in his enterprise. <laughs> you know, it's blinkies it's to run. People, the computer, you know, there's even one section with computer tape, you know, with the, with the mm-hmm. reels of computer tape, like what Kirk and Sulu found in the Omaha military base mm-hmm. in Tomorrow's mm-hmm. Yesterday old school 1960s thing. but this was supposed to be in the future much less our future much less Star Trek's future my point is that when they sat down to design a futuristic cockpit it, what, what, what did they think would sell with the audience rows of blinky lights rows of mm. blinky lights we have no idea what they do they're not labeled <laughs> you know aside from a couple of big you know bat cave type labels on things we have no idea but it's like Throw a bunch of blinky lights and people go, ooh, computers. Well, 1964 person would say, ooh, computers. Right. We look back now. We laugh at the lost in space, rows and rows of blinky lights that mean nothing. And we look at Star Trek. And at the time, it was cool and it was in color. And then eventually, people got into the 80s and 90s and all the fanboys and girls trying to retcon things and going, no, wait a minute. There's no labels. You can put Spock up there. Here's what's oh, yeah. awesome about it. Basically, Matt Jeffries and Jimmy Rugg, who wired the visual. Look at Spock's console. There's like rocker switches and tons of lights, and there actually are graphics on those panels. Thank you, Doug Drexler, eventually. But it's it's not lost in space. It's trying to be futuristic, you know. But there's a lot of unlabeled stuff there that they could obviously it didn't they didn't the motion picture the Phase Two motion picture sets. They actually sat down and labeled all the buttons because that was the thing of the day. But my point here is Irwin Allen had a ton of money for the Lost in Space pilot. And they did not have a ton of money mm. on the fail on a pilot that failed and then had to be redone and then redone. In fact, Gene Roddenberry writes about how the standard studio reaction was, Gene, baby, qu- what are you spending all this money for? Just... Put a bunch of lights on a bunch of consoles and just fly your ship and go. What are you doing? You know, and he was trying to do, let's have it planned. Let's have science consulting. Let's have Harvey Lynn from the Rand Corporation talk. You know, he was he had a limited budget, but he was trying to make it go with what he did. And even then, he was spending way more money than what NBC or Desi Liu thought he ought to be spending. And what Matt Jeffries and Jim Rudd came up with was a look in that bridge that looked very powerful even though it wasn't the 1960s version of just rows and rows and rows of blinky lights. So now today we would look back at, well, in the 80s and 90s, we'd say, they were so powerful that they didn't have to label their buttons because they were programmable. <laughs> they were programmable. We had a whole retcon for, and the whole being smooth pre-Star Wars, you know, and then Star Wars having all the surface texture to make the models look bigger. The whole Star Trek conceit used to be it's so powerful, you don't see the guts of the thing. You don't see the labels. It's so powerful, and they're so smart, you don't have to make it look like it's out of the 60s or Star Wars. So, you know, but that was a concession to scarcity. Scarcity drove the design parameters that, may, and Mike Akuda will talk about this, made them all, yeah. you know, and even next generation, scarcity was, we don't have a lot of money here, and Mike came up with the whole touch screen con- you know they could take one piece of plastic and shoot a camera thing and bang we're not gluing a million little half marbles you know and yep. then wiring them all to make a flash go off we're just gonna do it it was cheaper but it looks so much more futuristic now i've oh, got it looks one, so good i've got yeah. a couple more and i'll go through real fast this also applied to visual effects and people argue can you can you you can't make that bigger can you
0: uh i don't think so
1: okay well if you look yeah. at the the uh third one down there basically he's saying this is the writer's guide for the second season of next generation but it had been the same thing all the way through the original they're still saying here don't do space battles they cost too much money yeah yeah so they are
0: not as interesting as people think
1: yeah and they're not as interesting and we want to do people stories not space battle stories so yeah when CG came along and made space battles easier to do, they're there. And some might say that the pendulum has swung too far. They're cool to see. And if they really push the story, okay. If they're just there for gratuity, you know, whatever. Anyway. So that brings me up to today. I've got one, the one that you thought was there. It's, it's back to, uh, of all things, nemesis. So here's, what's amazing about this picture. Um, Oh, I wish I could get this in a bigger. Oh, I can. Uh, here's what's amazing about this picture. The way they've had so much money to spend on the JJ movies, and then much has been said about this, but the next gen movies, the original series, too, but they, they had a unified, you know, Paramount TV and movies was all the same, and they had such a warehouse of stuff that Herman Zimmerman was brilliant at recycling things. Again, scarcity and time and money. And they would, and, and a lot of us know, a lot of fans know about how they would d- dumpster dive, you know, the things in the original series on the walls were, were mailing package forms. They were recycling everything and spray painting it colors and putting it on the wall. But that scene, can you put that back up? That scene you just yeah. had, this is, I used to do, back in the day in 2003 and four. I would do this on the con, on my con shows. So this front console here that the Riemann is sitting at, that's a Klingon console. Okay. <laughs> These two Remans on the side, those circular consoles, those are the consoles that are in the pit in ops on DS9. Oh were casing, wow. That were repainted. you know, there's a little bit of surface stuff. And this um uh there's something in here from Enterprise I've forgotten in the moment. But the, the screens, chair, the
0: L C D screens, they look like they're from Enterprise. <laughs>
1: they might be. But Shinzon's chair is a small is a I think it's a Nissan small pickup truck <laughs> bedline, you know, a rubberized bedliner from a pickup truck over the wheel well. So they've cut <laughs> it down, turned it sideways. This part here is like the inside of a wheel well of a pickup. But that's what that's what they would do. The the chairs in the um I was just looking at this, the little fighter that they that they had that yeah. Data and Picard are flying in. The seats in that, they were always – Herman was always pulling out uh, seats from European sports cars, but that was – they loved Recoro seats that were in Porsches. Those seats were – you know. so the point here is they got so much – they used to say it's just more bang for the buck. But they were so good at modern-day equivalent of dumpster diving or just using what they – they didn't throw anything away, which is what people in a scarcity economy – like depression kids grew up not throwing anything away and becoming hoarders. They don't throw anything away in the Emerald Chain. And on Star Trek production, before they got tons of money thrown at them, they don't throw anything away. They kept warehouses and warehouses, that stuff, and would go use it. And fans today, it wasn't done just so everybody could sit around on, on Trek Core or Memory Alpha or you know, x a- Astra whatever, and track all the reuses of props and ship models. It was done to save money because they had to because of scarcity. So there you go guys. Deep dive. Did I surprise you? I love that one scene that's supposed to be a Riemann built Romulan craft and there's Enterprise, Klingon, Cardassian and Toyota. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: I didn't know about um I didn't know about the the, the Reman uh stuff being reused. It it looks like it almost looks like um, uh, Shinzon's uh, bridge a little bit. It almost looks like for Shinzon's bridge, they reuse some of the Riemann stuff, but I don't know if that's that's
1: true They would not, because, of course, by then they were like, we have to make it all because we're... This is going to be such an awesome movie, you won't even remember the old Star Treks before today. There was a lot of arrogance. So, no, they, it's like they wouldn't... It had all been auctioned. Uh, most of it had either been trashed or auctioned by then. Mm. The Christie's auction or... They're licensing grabbed a few things. We have museum shows, guys. Don't throw it all away. We'll put up <laughs> the money to store a few things. Anyway, well, um, I so I did surprise you again, yay!
0: You did surprise me. I always, I always uh, look forward to the K three for that reason. So um, the away mission. This is the part of the show where I want to give you some some way to apply what we've been talking about to your own life. So one thing that I neglected to mention a little bit earlier, I was looking at my notes, um, and I, I wanted to mention this is um, in light of your K three. Sometimes scarcity does make you more effective at solving that problem. Um, Mm. the scarcity as a team can lead to more creative problem solving scarcity as an individual over the long term leads to a lot of the problems that we've identified, um, in the counselor's log that, but that being said, um, like when it comes to poverty, people who are in poverty are better at finding ways to save money. They are better at finding a good deal. Mm -hmm. They are better at reusing things. And I think some of that speaks to what you're talking about here in the K3 as well. When there are some limitations, you have to work within those limitations. And um, it's still – I think the difference here between the K3 and the counselor's log is it's still enough money to make a show. Like, you can still make the show. You just have to work in these limitations. The kind of scarcity I was talking about in the counselor's log – is when um, you really don't have enough money to pay rent. You don't have enough money for food. Like, you really are stretching yourself thin, and it's over the long term, and it's related to your livelihood as well. Yeah. yeah. So um, so what do we do about it? Well, let me say the hard one first, which is the stuff that many of us don't really have any control over. Although, you know, who knows? Maybe there's someone watching who, who does. Um, the first thing is really to back off on people who are struggling with scarcity so uh, what I mean by that is um, people who might be unemployed, we make it so hard in some of our states to get unemployment benefits. But when you are unemployed, you have a huge scarcity of income. you're not you're not going to be that great at filling out mountains of paperwork because of this red alert system that I was just talking about, people have less they have more what's called cognitive load and they have less bandwidth. They're not very well equipped at um completing something very difficult, like un- filing, filing for unemployment. So we need to make it easier and more flexible for people who are in situations involving scarcity to get help. Um, this is why... Um, it, uh, you know, a big thing in the news this week was, um, unemployment, not unemployment, but, um, coronavirus aid that the United States was, was passing. And there is a bit of a debate. Are, are we going to have $600 checks or $2,000 checks? When people are in these situations of scarcity, they need relief. Like some relief and some flexibility goes a long way to helping people um, take care of themselves and not fall into some of the traps that I outlined with with the scarcity thinking um, but again those are hard solutions to, to take into account um, They're not easy things you can apply to your life today
1: so and and are all referenced in uh, past tense when they showed the futility yeah. of making these poor people go in and do all the paperwork and even the yes. bureaucrats I forget her name the character's name, but she's just as frustrated and burned out as, as the people applying for the aid are, that it's just ridiculous, yeah.
0: Yeah, so what... No, that's a great point, Larry, I forgot. But, yeah, you see that. You see mm-hmm. the actual futility with, like, how am I supposed to fill this out when I'm going through... All, like, I, this is this is so not... Um, this doesn't make any sense. So what do we do? What can we do? Um, I, I've got a, a couple ideas for, for you folks. Um, so one is... Really, um, really becoming more aware of when you are in the scarcity mindset, when your mind is going to this red alert and when you are making these decisions. Um, it's, it sort of becomes like tunnel vision where all you see is that problem. Like when people have scarcity of food, mm-hmm. when they're hungry, <clears throat> when you're hungry, Larry, what's the Nothing only makes... thing you think of?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Food. That's it. It's, it's very hard. To think of anything else. It's almost um, as if it's gnawing at you. Yeah, yeah. Or um, thirst. If you're thirsty, it's all you're going to be thinking about. It's going to be very hard to to um, to think about anything else. So, like, part of me wants to be like the doctor who says... Um, does it hurt when you do this? Yeah, then don't do that. You know, um, part of me wants to be like that and say like, well, if you're hungry, go feed yourself. But then you wouldn't like, obviously, you're not struggling with this issue if that if it's so easy to solve. Um, so one thing we all need to do is is get a little bit better at identifying when we're making those when we're in that scarcity mindset. And the big eye opener for me has been like time, like when I get into scarcity time mindsets and I let. I let all my e- emails fill up. Uh, I let my mail fill up, uh, my snail mail. I don't tend to those things. I don't take out the trash um, when I'm in scarcity. Like everything, yeah. you can tell. Like <clears throat> I don't do laundry. Like so, what? Um, one thing is, we need to get be more aware of the signs that we're going into scarcity and mm-hmm. um, get better at addressing the things we're neglecting or the things we're pretty bad at solving. So, one of the things that I do, I have reminders that go off for me of the big things I need to tend to that I usually neglect when I'm in that scarcity mindset. So, uh, like, for example, things like taking out the trash, doing laundry, looking at my mail. That's a big one for me, uh, cause I let that <laughs> completely neglect. Um, and then, um, and then get some help for those things. It's about, Knowing when you go in red alert um, and then um, figuring out how can you tackle some of the things you're neglecting when you're more in a green alert type of state. So not easy stuff to do, but hopefully that's some food for thought to get people thinking about um, about these states. And just uh, I hope this is kind of wakes up people to realizing how much scarcity impacts your life um, uh, every every single day. So. Uh, Larry, we've I'm, got about 10 minutes left.
1: Yeah, I have been going through the chat because I feel, hey guys, I feel like, um, we got kind of animated here. I had my soul box time, Ollie did too. <laughs> <We kept laughs> on some rants. But we were back to our regular format. If a lot of, if some of you came to us from, um, from the virtual Trek convention, we're an event, by the way, I forgot to do a shout out. For we may because I was noticing I'm a little slow today I guess uh, that we had a whole lot of new people in at least in the beginning so I want to say did. I I think we had a lot of new people and, we and, had a lot of twitchers
0: um, no 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 we did and we we still are at um much yeah. higher yeah higher than uh, me.
1: so when you oh, by the way see what he did just there guys it's somebody somebody who was it said uh, what is it about Larry and live streaming Aha, <laughs> Justin Uh, This was all on Ali. He's in the driver's seat until I, now I should, I am now where I can. But when we started, he had to take on all the producing chores. So that little glitch, I'd rather blame Ecamm or Restream than any of us, but it wasn't. I think it
0: was a random internet, I think, I I think something somewhere for a moment we lost the internet connection.
1: Don't tell me there's some kind of disparity disparity in scarcity of Wi-Fi signal in the Bay Area.
0: That can't, Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. If you want to talk about scarcity in the Bay Area, I could go off on, on,
1: on I, I, a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Oh and so we had a few people. Uh, who was it? Oh, Charlotte here was saying the same thing about tech. Yeah, Area. yeah. So I just wanted to say if you came to us today from Virtual TrekCon, uh special shout out and that we're here every Saturday. And I'm on my I'll say in a minute. I have a Tuesday show, too. But Ali and I do this every Saturday. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. And here's just, I saw uh, Michael uh, McAleer, Klingon Pop Warrior on Twitch. Uh, Hi again, Anne-Marie. Alea Chan Dimensions, Ilya Chan Dimensions on Twitch. We had a lot of Twitch folks today. Uh, Louise A. on YouTube. Uh, Theron on Twitch. May have been with us. Uh, Melanie Jean Mayfield, I think you've been with us before, but I want to say hi. And Sabrina Wood on Facebook. A lot of you knew her, him, her that name um but welcome um anyway i saw a lot of new new folks and uh, so hopefully we're not having a scarcity of people coming over to um you know to come in um Couple of points. Somebody, somebody uh, uh, People were uh, talking. Just a quick it. one. A quick yeah. one while the so while
0: it's still fresh. Uh, Cairo says, "Ollie, be careful." Uh, green alert actually has been used as an actual alert now. It was used to display mm-hmm. when when discovery uh, cloaked. So much change happening. Uh, thank you, Cairo, for for fact checking me in this episode. It's actually really helpful. I forget about all these new new changes and you haven't seen matter. every
1: episode of discovery 47 times yet what's wrong no
0: with i'm working on it i'm working you haven't on had it the
1: um, time to do it
0: yeah, yeah and um uh also uh this comment from time war dog, a- dog him um, oh hi part,
1: yes, war dog heim is another new war dog Heim. To say hi to. um yeah.
0: hardest part is making a plan when you're in red alert so you can actually get out of it i, I totally agree with you it's so hard to know you're in this state because, like hunger, everything is focused on that immediate thing. But uh, maybe yes. that's one sign. If, if I have
1: the cave, I talk about when I've got something huge and pressing, and then I come out. It's like I'm not paying attention to social. I don't know what's going yes. on in the world. And you come out of the cave and you go, "Okay, everybody, I've been in the cave for a week. What's going on?" And you catch up. You know, you hope you can. If it's hopefully, it's something that it's merely you know current events or it's merely the fan chatter or whatever's going on. But it's, it's it's like when you've got to wall, you're, or you've got a big deadline. I don't. I know you have no idea what that's like, Ollie. Uh,
0: well, and one last thing before I turn it back to you. Jared <laughs> says I can vouch Ali is terrible. I respond to get DMs at Um And I think Scott uh, Scott says he uh, he can confirm that as well. This is all very true, folks. This is all very true.
1: So did you get those two files moved over? I'm working on it. Okay. I'm working on it. See, Scott? See, guys? I see. I say. I'm working <clears> on it. <throat> Uh, just the, over the time in our chat, people were talking about. Uh, we were talking about past tense and on Virtual TrekCon and on uh, the Seventh Rule podcast. And I don't know if Anna Marie's still with us. And anyway, they were a lot of people were talking about how uh, Wolfie, Robert Hewitt Wolf, was great talking about past tense. He co-wrote it. Uh, was they they had a watch along or they were just talking about the episode and he was great there. And I just wanted to chime in and say yes, he was our he was my Portal Forty Seven open House guest last year and he's great. Melanie Jean Mayfield was comparing Brexit with FedZit.
0: Like Oh yeah. Brexit, yeah, yeah, with uh with yeah. Discovery right now. I think yeah. that's a really strong parallel. I mean, uh there's a big parallel here, folks, between mm-hmm. nationalism, xenophobia, and what's been happening around the world recently, and Star Trek Discovery this season. Um that part I think was very clearly intentional. Um I, I think they, they saw Brexit, they saw the rise of nationalism around the world, and that's been playing out with the season of discovery.
1: Even before the pandemic. Uh, and Anne-Marie, I want to say I loved your... <laughs> when Ali uh, misspoke, and she's like, We represent the Emerald Guild! <laughs> the Emerald. <laughs> and yes, there is a real Emerald Guild. I it's an Irish association. Um, it's an Irish trade association. But uh, I yeah, my mind... My mind went to d and d but uh yeah, very much so, and we're totally dog at a point um about people that take advantage of scarcity in individuals, like payday loans shark yes. loan sharks, pawn shops. Taking yes. advantage, people that are, and they're taking advantage of the fact that people are in that red alert mode. Yes. And yes. Need, yes. Need absolutely. Cash, and they can't afford to look long term. So absolutely,
0: absolutely, there are there are many industries built to completely take advantage of people being in this mindset. And um, it's it's horrible and unethical, and I think that stuff should be outlawed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to get on another soapbox because we have a lot
1: of comments to, to hit. Anyway, that's, um, that's me cleaning up the chat. Thanks, everybody. This has been an awesome. You guys are doing just great for us to be ignoring you for so long. So thanks.
0: <laughs> there's, there's a great comment here um, <laughs> I want to get to about people on the other end of the income spectrum. Hopefully I can find it. Um, but while I'm digging it up, one thing just to, to mention here is when scarcity isn't an issue, you're just not stressed about it. Your resources. Oh, okay. Here, here we go. Uh, Karen, uh, mentioned scarcity of understanding how this is for people in scarcity. Rich people just throw money at it. So this is yes. where, um, you know, privilege. Exactly. The word privilege brings up so ma- so much for so many. But I think one of the most important things about privilege is when you have a certain privilege, it blinds you to the experience of others. And when you have the privilege of not really stressing about bills mm-hmm. or rent or food, <clears throat> they're just not variables you think about. There's like they're a threshold. Stressor- There's a plateau.
1: Yes. And yeah. above that, it's all gravy. But below that, there is no gravy. There's no bread. <laughs> no,
0: and you know, quite literally. And yeah. so what happens is your resources, your mental resources are opened up to tackle other things. So for example, if, um, if you're so worried about how am I going to pay rent, you don't have the time or resources to help your kids with their homework. You don't. It's not going to happen. While, when you're when you have the resources to not worry about those bills you can do more like help your kids you can do more like attend or, more things
1: or look for work or create more yes. work opportunities for yourself to get yes. you more income to to not yes. be in that situation it's hard yes. to plan and grow when you're just surviving yeah
0: absolutely 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 and what i what i hope people take away from this is a lot of this discussion does come to like resources and income and and wealth and and poverty but scarcity happens in in so many aspects of our lives Um, um and time is one i think we can all again getting back to Star Trek generations time is the fire in which we burn that's a scarcity mindset whereas picard at the end saying time is a friend who comes along with us and reminds us that you know this moment will never come again that's more of a non scarcity mindset i was actually thinking about this larry the nexus would be one place you could go to where there is no scarcity of time that's um, true yeah that was um i just a the last thought I had.
1: yeah the last after my dad retired and i'd go visit him um and he'd just be sitting there <laughs> watching tv or doing something but uh, after he got where he couldn't get up and get around, that's what got to him. But he, it was kind of morose, but it was true too. He would, I'd say, okay, dad, well, I'll, I'll, you know, call you or I'll do this or whatever, whatever, especially when we were distant. And he'd say, it's all right, son. All I got's time. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, and it wasn't even like a guilty parent thing by then. He was like staying a fact. It's, And I it was like, oh, you know, like, you know, yeah. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't, but there are people that all they have is time yeah, and it's not a scarcity. It's a, it's, it's almost like a, a burden, but anyway. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, the the last, the very last episode of, um, the PBS show I've been doing self evident comes out this Monday and in this episode, ding, ding, um, ding, ding, ding. Okay. yeah, So check it out folks. Um, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And we started the series by, um, talking to 10 <laughs> year olds across the country about what it, what it's like to be an American right now in 2020 I end the series by talking to people in their 80s about what it's like to be an American right now. And one of the individuals I talk to is actually a psychologist in her 80s. And she tells me oh. that um, her relationship with time has completely changed. And she has the luxury of enjoying the small moments in her life now. She The, the joy that she gets from a great cup of tea uh, with friends and family is uh, is unlike anything she had elsewhere in her life. So maybe that is the great nexus that w- that awaits us is uh, is having the luxury of enjoying the small moments when uh, when we can when there isn't a scarcity of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: My version of of uh, Saran's of Tolian line is time is the fire in which we blur. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
0: Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm
1: at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nemechek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube.
0: Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.